Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doralstown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear Sunday's sermon, along with the scripture lesson read by that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all of our diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. Our New Testament lesson this morning comes from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. We are reading from the fourth chapter, beginning with verse 14. You can find this on page 194 in the New Testament portion of your pew Bible. We must no longer be children, tossed to and fro, and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Let us pray. We give thanks, O God, for the certainty that you are always with us and for the ways that you continue to speak and show us the way. We ask that in this moment, led by your Spirit, we might discern that message, that we might be part of creating the kind of future you have always envisioned. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. During this summer, all of the sermons at DPC will derive from Judges. The Old Testament book bearing that name is referencing the leaders of ancient Israel who served from the time of Joshua to the time of the kings, roughly 400 years. Those judges did the kinds of things that we would expect, but they didn't confine their work only to a courtroom. As the study notes of my Bible put it this way, that they enacted justice, and justice was in quotation, through the settlement of disputes, military leadership, assassinations, or general destructive mayhem. Over the course of this summer, we will see the ways that judges acted upon one or more of those techniques. But today's passage simply sets the stage for us of describing why it was that the people of Israel needed judges in the first place. It's a pattern that we hear begin. Then the Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors. They followed other gods. The Bible doesn't tell us much about the Baal religion. But from other sources, we know that that Canaanite God was viewed as the God of weather. And given how so much of life in that era evolved around agriculture, it is only appropriate that the locals in the Promised Land would carry out acts of sacrifice or devotion to Baal in the hopes that he would bless them with the weather they needed. And apparently, in time, the Israelites 
forgot about the God that had brought them to freedom and instead started worshiping Baal and other local deities. In response, God became so infuriated that he allowed other people to overrun his beloved ones. And then the text tells us the Israelites would cry out. The Lord would raise up judges who delivered them out of the power of those who plundered them. Whenever the Lord raised up judges, the Lord was with the judge. And he delivered them from the hands of the enemies all the days of the judge. But whenever the judge died, the people would relapse and behave worse than their ancestors, following other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They would not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. Thus, the pattern that would begin is one of the people turning from the ways of God, of God becoming incensed and allowing foreign powers to overrun his people, of the Israelites then crying out for God and God in mercy sending them a judge. And as long as the judge ruled, peace was restored. But whenever the judge died, the pattern would return. As a nation, the last two weeks have reminded us of another pattern in our shared life. As once again, there has been gun violence on a massive scale in Buffalo and Uvalde, in Tulsa, and in Philadelphia. Whenever those events happen, there is this all-too-familiar pattern that breaks out for us. We become shocked once again that it has happened. We grieve for the families. We learn the stories of the victims and the accused. We offer our prayers and cry out for change. New laws are introduced in Congress, and then some are passed along with a renewed commitment to follow the ones already on the books. And then we, as a nation, move on until the pattern begins again. This morning, I'd like for us to reflect together on those two cycles. The one articulated by an ancient nation of Israel and the one that has restarted for us as a modern-day America. I want to do so in part to follow up on Pauline's powerful sermon of two weeks ago in which she named some of these recurring themes that have happened and the hope and the question of is it time for the church to do something different? Sadly, I have preached about gun violence in our land far more times than I can count. I'm guessing the first one was in 1999, after the horrific events at Columbine High School. And like many of you, 
I have seen this pattern occur time after time. And thus I have no illusion that any single sermon or any one new law will break that cycle. And yet as people of faith, we know that God grieves every death and that God will not rest until this cycle is broken and that we are not to rest either. And instead, it seems to me that it is in the very practice of our faith that there is a new approach that we can consider. We join in this most recent cycle at the place where it is today, namely as new laws are working their way through Congress. Eight days ago, I read an interesting article by four journalists who were talking about the four main proposals being talked about at that time, and then going back to look at the mass killings that had happened in our country since Columbine, and to speculate that if those four laws had been in existence since 1999, what might have been different? By their calculations, based upon what we now know about those events in the past, they suggested that we might have avoided 35 of those moments that ended up killing 446 people. And so they put it in this way. Four gunmen younger than 21 would have been blocked from legally buying the weapons that were used in mass shootings. At least four other assailants would have been subjected to the required background check instead of slipping through a loophole. Ten might have been unable to steal their weapons because of efforts to require or encourage safer gun storage, and 20 might not have been allowed to legally purchase the large capacity magazines that they use to upgrade their guns, helping them kill on average 16 people each. They then went back and recalled some of those communities that had become part of the collective conversation in those two decades. Colleen, Texas, and Aurora, Colorado. Newtown, Connecticut. Las Vegas, Nevada. Sutherland Springs, Texas. Parkland, Florida, and now Buffalo and Uvalde. What they made clear was that there was no particular place immune from such violence as it occurred in those cities on a military base and in a movie theater, at an outdoor concert and inside a church sanctuary in a grocery store, and three schools. Whenever there is a tragedy like that, the most natural thing of all is to ask the what-if questions, to think of what might have been different that could have avoided those tragedies. And so since Uvalde, for instance, most of the conversation has focused on what might have been different if that door had caught, if the teacher had pulled shut, or if law enforcement had acted sooner. 
We don't know. We don't know if that would have made a difference in that outcome, just as we don't know if those laws that have been considered recently, if they had been in place 23 years ago, if it would have saved all of those lives. We don't know, at least I don't. How many times other threats have been thwarted by law enforcement? Or how many times laws that have been passed after earlier tragedies made the difference? Yet what we do know is that the cycle has started again. Which suggests to me that a new approach is needed. I got the idea from Scripture, in particular from our New Testament reading today, where Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus and is calling for unity in the church. And then he says, We must no longer be children, tossed to and fro, and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. And I can't help but wonder if some of the horror we have seen in recent decades results in those same human traits having won the day. And yet, thankfully, Paul doesn't stop there. Instead, he goes on to say, but speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Paul doesn't use that phrase, grow up, in the way that we often hear it used. Times when we get frustrated with someone and think that they should just grow up. No, Paul is talking about a particular kind of growth. He said that we must grow up into him, in the, to the head, into Christ. And I wonder if that is the solution yet for us to break this cycle. Last I heard, 63% of Americans self-identify as Christian. While certainly there's all kinds of varieties of what that Christian experience looks like and how it is lived out at its heart, to call oneself a Christian means that as an individual, we have committed to becoming his disciple. We have committed to growing in emulating his words and his teaching that we strive to be more Christ-like every day. It is a goal that we have accepted for ourselves that we will never fully achieve. There's a reason that we have a prayer of confession at the start of every worship service. Because while there have been moments when we are faithful, there will always be times when we fall short. And yet even that known human reality does not negate our shared starting points. That all that we do, that every action we take is meant to help us grow up into him, into the head, into Christ. So what if? What if 
of Americans. Those who have taken for themselves that label of following Jesus Christ, what if their starting point in this whole debate about guns begins with what Jesus said? What if 63% of our neighbors don't pay attention first to what their favorite news source or their favorite politician says, but to what Jesus said? What would happen if 63% of the people in our land instead of responding first to their preferred advocacy group or columnist or even pastor, chose to respond to what Jesus said. Now, I can save you some time of biblical research and confirm what I think you already suspect to be true. Namely, that there is no moment in the Gospels, where we hear Jesus talk about assault weapons or high-capacity cartridges. There's no place where Jesus talks about red flag laws or background checks. There are, quite frankly, many places where we see Jesus respond to individuals whom, from the perspective of two centuries later, we would characterize as suffering from mental illness. And absolutely, that conversation is still part of what we might do, and appropriately so. But I am willing to suggest that there really is no particular phrasing or proposal that is before us today to break this cycle that you can ever find on the lips of Jesus. Of course not. The primary weapons in his time were swords and rocks. Things are vastly different than they were in the first century, and yet still, his words and his example speak. Well, for what difference would it make to you if when you are advocating for particular changes that you started first with seeking new laws or funding for them that would honor that one known as the Prince of Peace? What difference would it make in your own thinking, in the own, your own places where you have weighed into this discussion, if your starting point is one of making sure that whatever happens reflects the words of that one who said, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. The same one who said that we are to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. What difference would it make in your thinking if you sought changes that would most completely honor the one who said, as you do to the least of these who are members of my family, you do unto me. The one who said, blessed are the peacemakers. The one who called his followers to be both salt and light to the world. 
I can't answer that in any comprehensive way, but I am confident that if that was the starting point for all of us, that there would be changes in terms of what you have always viewed as a non-negotiable component or things that you have always held to be the solution that you might then set aside. It's really hard to know what that kind of change could bring about if all of us and the 63% of fellow Americans and others with no faith who recognize the wisdom in Jesus' words would come together in that kind of change. Would it end all violence? Absolutely not. There is something in the human heart that from the beginning has always been drawn to that which is not God's will. And while the weapon of choice may have changed from a rock to an AR-15, that behavior will never leave humanity, at least not on this side of heaven. And yet, if we were collectively to change the way that we approach this whole conversation and first and foremost shape it in such a way that we as individuals and as a country might grow up into him, into the head, into Christ, might it interrupt this cycle or even start a new one of peace, security, and hope. I don't know. But as people of faith, surely, surely, it is worth trying. Let us pray. Oh God, we grieve with you as we have yet again experienced violence in our land. We pray, O oh God, that guided by your spirit and by our commitment to grow in reflecting ever more fully the life, the teaching, the witness of your Son, that we might discover a solution that will end this cycle and begin a new one that reflects your will for all of your people from the beginning. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.